Happy New Year's to everybody. Um, what a special place to be on a Wednesday night for the New Year's. I know we had such a blessed time with Christmas and with our relatives and our family. And then New Year's last week, we had such a blessed time here at the church. So thank you for all that served and brought food and, and were involved with that. I know some of you are obviously gone, but we had such a wonderful time. So thank you all for that. Um, obviously, J.D.'s not here. Um, just keep him in your prayers. He's on his way out to uh, Colorado to see his sister to help her get moved and back on her feet. So keep him in your prayers along with his sister. So um, it'll be good for him to be take a little break and get refreshed and, and have him back ready to go Sunday. So keep him in your thoughts and prayers for that. Um, we'll be in uh, Romans chapter 12 tonight, if you want to turn there. Romans chapter 12. Um, last week, or two weeks ago, we took a break last week. J.D. was in um, Hebrews 11. He's going to finish up the second part of that. Um, so he's already been studied. He's ready to go for that. So I just had to pick something from the Old Testament on Sundays. And I just thought, you know, um, really struggled with it, to be honest, trying to figure out where to go. So we hadn't been in Romans for a while. So we're going to be in Romans 12, a lot of spiritual, simple applications through this little, short, little chapter, but a lot of wonderful things in this chapter. So um, let's go ahead and pray while we're turning there and we'll get started. Father, we just thank you so much for this time we get to spend together. Um, I pray that this word will be blessed to all of us, Lord. So through all the spiritual gifts and everything that's in this chapter, I pray that we'll all open our hearts to what you have for us. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul more likely is in Corinth, and he has spent the entire first 11 chapters really laying out um, what sin does to us. First, first few verses, or the first few chapters, um, he really deals with sin and what sin does, and dead to sin, and now you're alive through Christ. He really lays it out with um, the things that, that sin had to do, um, and God's grace through forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and how much we dealt according to our sin. Um, in chapter 8, you know, he talks about there's no condemnation now in, in Christ. We got to get, um, he just got done with the promises still prepared for Israel in chapters 9 through 11. God has not forgotten them. Salvation is now available for us, the Gentiles. What a wonderful thing it is 2,000 years later. The Jews are still going to be in God's promises. So Paul just got done talking to the Roman Christian, the people that are in Rome, um, that Israel still has a plan. So now he comes to chapter 12, um, and he focuses on how to unify the church body. How can we here on Calvary Chapel on a Wednesday night, how can we be unified as a body? So he really changes gears and he's focusing on God's grace and what, how to unify the church through these, for this next uh, four chapters, if you will, we broke it up. But the rest of his letter to the Roman Christians are about how to unify the church. What can we do here as Christians? So verse 1, chapter 12. I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, I beg you, he's, uh, he's saying, as Paul has often done, he's begging people, encouraging people, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The living sacrifices presents your bodies as a living sacrifice. The first century people knew all about what sacrificing was. A living sacrifice, though, was a striking new image to them. Our bodies are brought to the altar of God, made sense. But what about the parts of our flesh that we must give up to, that we love so dearly, um, that the parts that we never intended on giving up? In the book of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, um, I love that little book, um, he talks about him being a boy and his toothaching. And his mother knew that he would give him the aspirin, the dead and the pain, but also knew that she would do something else 
that would take that was uh, more to him that would take him to the dentist. He knew the dentist would be more than just fixing that one tooth. Uh, he would repair the whole mouth. God is the same. If we give him an inch, he will take a mile. He doesn't want just one tooth clean. He wants them all. And in the same book, he goes on to talk about, um, he compares it to a man's house. A man's house is just like the little book. We got it out here on the shelf. You want to read it? It's a great little book. Uh, we read it to our kids about my home, uh, my heart, Christ home. And it's, it's about inviting Jesus. And it's a sweet little book. I'd highly recommend reading that one. It's short and it's easy to understand on being a living sacrifice and what it costs to follow Jesus. And again, it goes on to, um, a man goes to invite Jesus into his home. Jesus starts, um, he starts dusting. He starts replacing the light bulbs. He finds the cracks. He finds the things that are all broken. He finds the, the leak in the roof. And then he goes on and he starts tearing down walls. And C.S. Lewis starts talking about how the man felt uncomfortable. He starts feeling things shake. He started to think, oh my goodness, things around him are, are, are not good. He's, he's going to find what I know he, I'm hiding. And he began to feel that hurt as Jesus took pieces out that were so precious to the man, but were unfitting for a king to live. I too, I think if, if, if Jesus was truly going to come to my house, I would want to build him an addition. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to have him just live with me. I'd want to build him a big old addition, where I could take him out and I could have coffee and, and and have breakfast with him, and I could just spend time with him on that nice brand new porch and that big open view of my backyard. I'd love to have him just. Be out there and in addition with him for coffee and on Sundays and Wednesdays. What I really wouldn't want is for him to go down to um, the basement. I wouldn't want him to find the, the things that I kept in my closet that were so dear to me for so long. Um, a lot of the disgusting, deceitful lust that I used to carry on with me. Um, and my jealousies, the things of my sin was so wretched, I didn't want Jesus to go down and find those things and bring out that laundry list of things and go throw it in the trash. I didn't want that. I don't want him to find those things. I just want him to stay out on my new addition. I just want to spend time with him out there. I don't want him to go and find the nitty-gritty things that I used to keep so hidden from so many people, and even though he already knew about it, I didn't want him to clean house. I just wanted him to stay where he wanted to be, where I, where I wanted him to be. And that is exactly... What C.S. Lewis was talking about is the book. What are we willing to give up? I had to examine myself. Have I counted the cost? What am I willing to give up to follow Jesus? Was a real question. And Paul says it throughout numerous different books and letters that he writes. Have you examined yourself? Have you counted the cost? In Luke chapter 14, 28, it says this. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he laid the foundation he is not able to finish all who see him begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down and consider whether it is able to bend 10,000 against the 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's a challenge. Jesus is challenging us. What are you willing to give up to follow after me? What are you doing on your daily lives to follow after me that I've asked you to do? 
Jesus ended his description with a discipleship of a breathtaking statement for me. If any of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. For those who are following Jesus simply for what they can get, probably won't stick around when the going gets tough. And I've been there a few times in my life where I just had to really stop and examine myself, get back to those tender mercies of God, and God welcome me with open arms. But I have to make those changes and count the cost of the things that I have to grow spiritually. If I'm not able to get rid of that baggage, I'm never going to grow closer to God. And when those conflicts come our way, we feel betrayed or at a crossroads. That's this is not what I expected it to be when we become a Christian. Matter of fact, it, usually that's the start of the race. That's the start of life. Things get really, really difficult. Things are not easy when we become a Christian. And he's going to go on to talk about conforming and the transforming of the mind. But we must get rid of that mindset that life gets easier. It doesn't. It, it gets harder when we start with Christ. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose relationships. You're probably going to lose family members. Even family members can become your enemies. And that's okay. We're in good hands. You might even go to jail for it. Um, we saw what 2020 was like. And 2024 could be even crazier. Who knows? But are we willing to stand up for righteousness in our biblical citizenship class? We were talking about um, morality. And are we willing to draw that line for things that God says we cannot do? Are we willing to draw that line for God says, I need you to speak against a simple thing like homosexuality? It's going to become hate speech before too long. Are we going to draw that line of what it costs to follow after Jesus say, I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to conform to the world. I'm not going to do the things that Jesus says not to do. Challenge yourself. So Paul is begging us to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. He challenges us more and more throughout his books and through his letters to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I bought my boys, Anna and I bought our boys uh, some tennis shoes for Christmas. And I expect them with their brand new shoes, and he's got white bottoms. I don't know why we bought white bottoms, but we did. (laughs) He puts them on. I hope that he stays on the sidewalk. I hope that he, both boys, I hope that they stay on the sidewalk, that they don't go out and run to the cow pies, all that stuff. We have chickens in our backyard. I hope that they can just stay on the sidewalk as it should be their reasonable response to stay on the sidewalk and not run through the mud. And of course, you know, dad comes out there and plays and I forget what I'm doing. The next thing you know, the block, their shoes are ruined. (laughs) I want them to have that reasonable response. I want them to be able to listen. I want to stay on the path of righteousness for myself. Um, And I want to stay on that sidewalk. I want to stay on that sidewalk that stays right to God. I don't want to get in the mud. I want to stay on that. But it should be my reasonable response, my reasonable service, by the tender mercies, Paul says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I find that interesting that he has to throw in that do not be conformed. You know, he obviously, to me, says it because we begin, we begin, we're, we're fearful. I mean, if, if we aren't going to conform to Jesus Christ, we have lots of things that get in our ways. We have people that make fun of us. We have people that bring us down. We've got to be conformed, or we'll be conformed into the world. We'll look just like the world. That's why he says, you must. I'm begging you, Christians, to follow after God's tender mercies and to be conformed, in, not to be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold because it's going to try it. 
And that fear will just make you one way or the other. You've got to block out that fear. We've got to draw that hard line and follow after Christ. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. He's got a couple of different things there. He's trying to break down for us. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. As we look, as we let Jesus be the way, Colossians 3.15 says, he, His peace will rule in your heart. In Hebrews 10, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, J.D. taught us, This is a new covenant that I will make them that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put in my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Psalm 37, 4 is one of my favorites. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's going to clean house again if, if we're willing. If, he, if we're willing to lay down our lives and, and ask every day, Lord, what do you want from me? The desires of our heart will come forth just by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to get in them and try not to get too far ahead with the, the, the fruits of the Spirit or the, the gifts of the Spirit. He's going to clean house if we are willing to transform your mind by studying God's Word. And then we can prove that what is God's perfect will for us. There should be no greater goal for us as a child and to love your heart. What's the greatest commandment Jesus says? To love your, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our minds must be transformed. Through intelligence, I found that God, um, God usually moves supernaturally, naturally. And what I mean by that is He's just going to put a desire in your heart. Not all of us have, um, again, the, the, desire, or the, the, the gifts that are going to come up that He's going to talk to us about. You've got to walk in it. You've got to be in the right spot. He's going to put you in those spots where you didn't think you would be um, without that. And that desire that God gives you, He's going to put it in your mind, and He's going to transform your mind to be in, in His will. And a lot of Christians, I haven't met anybody that doesn't want it. I know myself, I want to know what God's will is. All of us want to know what God's will is. Well, Paul just broke it down for us that it's really not too hard to figure out. Keep in mind what he says. He says what? Keep, and I love how he starts it off. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Rod McKinney and I were just talking. We had supper last week, and my goodness, we were just talking about all the crazy, dumb stuff we used to do. Not boasting it, of course, but just the stupid stuff that we used to do and how much mercy that God had for us that we are now, 20 years later, able to tell each other about those things. It was wonderful. We had, those, we had a, a wonderful time, and we talked for probably an hour about God's mercies and the things that He did for us. And now get, God gets to bless me with it to teach it as well. Wonderful. There's the first one. Then present yourself a living sacrifice. This is all part of God's will. How can we learn God's will? How do we know what God's will is for us? We live a sacrifice. We resist conformity to the world. If we're going to be like the world, we cannot be um, a part of God's plan. We cannot be walking after God's will if we're in the world. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he makes it very easy for us to understand, very practical for us to understand God's will. I beg you, he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I do not want you to be conformed to the world. I want you to have a new fresh start. I want you to follow after the desires of your heart. I will write them on your heart. I want you to walk in them. And then you will find out what God's will is for you. Ask him. He was willing to give it to you if you're willing to ask him. Abide in his laws and his morals, and he will direct your steps, the Bible says. Verse 3, though I say through the gifts, through the grace given to me, to everyone is who among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
remember my first teaching was downright awful. And I just read through 1 Corinthians 13. It was so bad. And I remember the last time I taught, um, I mentioned purgatory, and it still rings through my bed. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as purgatory. But I got done teaching. I texted Aaron. I'm like, you got to erase that right now. <laughs> and JD texted me and goes, it's okay. It, it, I get it. It's hard. But not to think of yourself more highly. Not that I did. I didn't think I was going to do great. But not to think yourself more highly than you ought to think. Put yourself down. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Seeing ourselves through God's eyes, Paul recognized that such comparisons are emotionally and spiritually deadly. He even offered an antidote or a cure. Seeing ourselves not as we stack up against others, but um, evaluate us as God sees us. The Lord's estimation of our worth is the only one that means anything. And to Him, no matter more than what we could ever imagine. God judges us to a, not to a worldly criteria, our gender, our parents, our social status, our wealth, our level of intelligence, none of that. He examines us to a different, a different criteria. As sev- several individuals through Scripture are talked about, God examines the heart. First Corinthians, as he tells um, Solomon, Solomon was known as the wisest man in the Bible. He asked for wisdom first. God blessed him with all sorts of abundance. It's unfortunate that um, Solomon's life took a turn at the end. But God looks at the heart. First Samuel in 16, we know that Saul was anointed king. God has to remind the prophet Samuel, I don't want, I'm done with him. I don't care that he's handsome and he's tall and he's the best looking and he's strong and he's a good looking fella. I have denounced him. My spirit has left him. I examine the heart. I'm not after his physical appearance. I'm after the heart. God examines the heart. And Paul realized the grace that made him who he was. Despite his past, God transformed him into a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. All things are new. So what's Paul saying here? God gives us grace, and he also gives us a measure of faith to be able to do the work of the, of the ministry. And that's what he's going to talk about here. Each one of us gets a... Uh, We've been given grace, and we've been given a measure of faith to do the body of the work. Verse 4, for we are as many members in one body, but not all members do the same thing or the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And here he goes. He's going to go through some of the gifts. Let us use them if prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. I can't elaborate a whole lot on that, but I will say this. Um, if people say they are a prophet or they have a word from the Lord, we can always go back to back it up with Scripture. Just like the Babylonians when Paul was teaching. They're like, man, how can you, how can you um, counter or question the apostle? Paul, it's Paul. We've all seen what he does. And the, and the Babylonians said, what? I don't care. I'm going to match it up with Scripture. And even Paul said, how great, how awesome it was to back it up with Scripture prophecy. If people are going to say they have a word from the Lord, always take it back. Always take it back to Scripture. Or ministry. Let us use it for our ministering. We have tons of ministries going on here. So if you guys think that you're not the mouth or the arm or all that, we have tons of little ministries going on here. Without the sound, without Aaron, without the worship team, without holding babies. Lori talked about when she was holding babies when they first started the church. I love that story. Without people doing the work of these little ministries that are never going to be seen, all the slides that get made up, 
There's people behind the scenes that are doing all these work. The work of the ministry is so broad that people think that they have to be outspoken or they have to be seen. We have to be a Billy Graham. We have to be up here teaching. We have to be doing stuff in the back with the children. Wonderful ministry back there. You may never get told anything, but God sees your work. We all have different ministries. We're all different parts of the body. And without all that going on back there, somebody's got to take the trash out. Somebody's got to clean the windows. Somebody's got to do the little things that happen here at our local body of Christ. It's not all the big things. We have little, um, little ministries constantly going on, which is such a blessing for this church to operate and be able to bless other people that come in. Greeters, the security team. You're not forgotten about just because there's not a lot of publicity, if you will, or people seeing what you do. God sees all, and he's given you that heart to be able to want to minister to people because of the gifts that he's given you, the grace that he's given you, a measure of faith. It may not be huge. You may not think it's much, but it's very, very important in the body of Christ. If without that big toe, if you will, you know, a lot of the balance is gone. We don't have that balance. We're going to collapse. We're going to fall. The ministering, let us use it to our ministering. He who teaches and teaching, what a wonderful thing that we have a Bible believing church here. I know there's lots of churches that when they go through their process of trying to find a pastor, they're not interested in teaching. They're not interested in someone having us teach the Word of God. They can read it. They can explain it to us. They can help us understand it. There's not that many people that have that gift. The Bible says don't desire all to be teachers because you'll have a stricter judgment. But tons of churches are out there. They don't care. The, the teaching, eh, you know, that's, that's second. I'm not too worried about that. What I want is for you to go and meet with the church. I want you to go meet with the donors. I want you to go do this. I want you to play all the roles of the pastor. But teaching, eh, that's okay. We don't want to offend the people. I think it's dire. I think it's so important. It has radically changed my life. I know that just by the simplicity of the word and truth, because if I didn't have the truth, and we learned this in our biblical citizenship two class, If we don't believe truth, we will believe the lie. If we aren't getting taught the truth from the pulpit, we will follow after whatever comes our way. Be thankful that you're not a teacher, but we do we have a Bible-believing church. It's wonderful to have that structure and that teaching from here that we can have it each and every day, Sundays and Wednesdays, Sundays and Wednesdays. We're getting taught the Word of God, how powerful it is and how amazing it is, but it's a gift. It is absolutely a gift to be able to explain the text in a sense that we all can understand it and apply it to our lives. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. He who exhorts an exhortation, a preacher, a Billy Graham, if you will, get back out there and do it again. You failed. Okay, no big deal. Get back up there and do it again. People who can exhort people to persuade them like a Barnabas. I love Barnabas. Get back out there. You fight the good fight. Don't give up hope. I love exhortation. So if you are a gift of exhortation, if you have exhorting, if you can persuade people, I mean, I did, I, I've talked with a, a few atheists and agnostic people. I don't quite comprehend um, atheism, but if this life is all we have to look forward to, how, how defeating. Persuade these people. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Exhort them to want to change that this life has nothing for us and there's more to it than what you see on a day-to-day basis. Exhort them. It's a gift, an exhortation. He who gives with liberality. The church has still got to operate. We still got to have fishy crackers in the back. We've got to have paper towels. We've got to turn on the lights. There's people that have a checkbook that has blessed them. I mean, not a lot of people, they can't get up in front of people. They can't teach kids. They don't have the gift of, as he's going to say in a minute, of mercy. They don't have the gift of exhortation. But hey, you know what? I can bless people financially. That is truly a gift. There's not a lot of people have that gift of being able to 
take care of their finances, and to bless other people with it. It's a gift, and man, it's so much needed. And people that do that, I tell you what, my wife and I have quite the testimony. It just happened within the last month. We were praying about some stuff, and we didn't have a lot of money at the moment. Trying to get some stuff taken care of and some debt paid off. Amazing. Oh, um, some, some money just showed up, and we were able to take care of all the things that we had been praying about. Truly a gift because it blesses the other people that, on the receiving end. If you don't think much to it about the gift of liberality, you're missing it because it is so important. And it's such a blessing to be able to be on the receiving end and to bless it out. Use your gifts that you have. He who leads with diligence, an administrator, if you will, someone who can sit and organize people, organize groups that has a gift of administration. And I love this one. I think he saves this one for last. But he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Did you know that was a gift? People that have the gift of mercy that you can just come into them. You can pour into them or... You can just um, understand how much the mercy that you have been given. I don't have that gift of mercy a lot of times. My patience can get the best of me. But I tell you what, I will boast on my wife for a minute because she is one forgiving, loving woman. Of all the things that I put her through, the most I can say about her characteristics and her gift is that she does never want to be seen by anybody. She, doesn't want, she, she just wants to raise her kids to love Jesus and I tell you what, she has forgiven me for so many different things. Mercy with cheerfulness. It doesn't matter how you treated me, I'm going to forgive you because that's what Jesus has done for me. The people that have this gift, did you know that was a gift? Amazing. You had the gift of mercy. And that's not all of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he goes on to list more of them. And Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to read that one too. I'm not going to read Ephesians 4. But this one, um, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians says... Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, you know that you are, I do not want you to be ignorant. For you know that you were once Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make you known uh, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of activities, but the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom in the Spirit, to another the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings in the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another of prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different types of tongues, and to be able to interpret tongues. But the same Spirit works in all of these, distributing to each one as He wills. We should use them. We should be able to figure out what God has given us, and we're not limited to that. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about apostles, pastors, teachers. So some people say, if you don't have one of those 21 gifts that they just mentioned, then you're not in the, you're not a, you're not, you don't have a spiritual gift. That is not true. Look how many that we just named off with ministry, worship, the sound, teaching kids in the back. Not all of us are called to be apostles or teachers. We all have different functions within the body of Christ. We had Christmas last week. As you know, we celebrated it. What a wonderful time it was. Um, my wife and I, it's a wonderful time to give gifts. We even played a little game here on New Year's where these little, the little kids got to open up gifts, played the white elephant gift. They just ripped it open. They had a blast. They don't care. They just love opening gifts. I want to have that same excitement for, um, for what God has for my gift. 
And I gave, we gave Sophia a loom. She's wonderful. She knits things. She's wonderful with her hands. She loves to create things. And she made, um, she had a choice to make six things. She could only make six things. Out of those six things, four of them she made for um, two widows. She made for um, a gal that I work with who uh, the husband's not there. And she loves to cook. And you should have saw her face. And I gave her that um, little pot over. So sweet. Walked across the street the next day, gave it to the widow across the street, a potholder, a loom. Wonderful thing that a gift that she has that I expect her to use it though. I don't just give it to her to have it just sit on the dresser. I don't want it to be sat underneath the floor. I want her to use it to knit things together as perfectly as it can be and then to go bless other people. That's the gift that she has, a gift that God has given us and God expects us to use them too. And again, your gift may not seem um, very important. It may seem so little. But Jesus says differently. Remember uh, Dorcas or Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. She passes away and um, all the widows, when, when they say, hey, Peter, you got to go up there. We, we need you to minister to them. They get, Peter gets up there and Luke describes it in Luke's, uh, Acts chapter 9 that all these widows are up there and they're weeping. They're weeping because Dorcas had passed away and she had the gift of being able to take care of the saints' needs. She sewed, she made tunics, she made garments. She was able to bless all these widows that didn't have that craft or that skill to be able to knit and sew and make things for people that the whole widows, it says, they wept for her good deeds. And then obviously, if you know the story, Peter raises her back to life. You can imagine the, the joy and the excitement that those widows and those people had. What a testimony. But Dorcas is not forgotten about. I find that fascinating that Luke writes that down. Hey, Dorcas was quite the lady. She was quite the gal. Some of you are a little older. I heard a pastor once say, um, you're in that chair for prayer. You may not be able to do a lot of different things now as you get older. God can give you different gifts throughout your life. It's not just one or two gifts that you're going to have your entire life. He could change it when you're 80 years old. And I thought it was interesting. When you get older, you can't do a lot of those things. Or maybe you get retired or you just pass on the torch, if you will, to someone else. You can't teach forever in the back. You can't be up here. You can't do that. You move away. But you're in that chair for prayer. Be a prayer warrior. Praying for people on their behalf that they don't know anything about, but you're praying for them. Hey, can you pray for me? Absolutely. There's people that pray night and day. It's a wonderful gift. Don't forget that being uh, even just a listener. A lot of times when people are going through something, they don't want to be talked to. They want to have an ear. They want to be listened to. Who are those that just want to be, uh, that can just sit there and listen to people? It's wonderful. They don't have to talk over people. Listening is a gift. Not everybody can sit there and just deal with people's problems. Oh my goodness, can you just stop talking? I know you're going through something, but I got my own problems. There's people like that. But the people that you can just come to and say, hey, I know last time I just mentioned to it, it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you think you'd learn. Nope, no, nope, no. Nope. I've been given the gift of mercy. I can give you an ear. What can I help you with? And then you pray for them. That is a gift that is so desired and much needed in the body of Christ and it's not forgotten about. That is a much uh, um, wonderful thing that Jesus gives to um, a few people. A lot of people, maybe it's here, I don't know, but um, it is desperately, desperately needed in the body of Christ. There's the gifts. Now he kind of changes gear in the last section here. After giving yourself as a, as a living sacrifice, now he's given you a gift. Now he's poured it out to you. He's given you something that you can take care of, that you can bless other people with. And he makes these, there's 30 little short little love quotes, if you will. 
He, he opens it up and, and says, hey, this is how you can use what your gift. This is how you can become the unified church that we talked about. Let love, verse 9, be without hypocrisy. Don't be like Judas Iscariot and betray Jesus with a kiss. We all find those, and even today, you know, you can find, you can see those weird people. They're just a little weird. Love with an intimacy that's real. Don't be a hypocrite with your love. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. You remember that time when you got saved, when you were on fire for the Lord, and everything was new, you were telling everybody about Jesus. You go to the grocery store, you tell people about Jesus. You go wherever you need, and you talk about Jesus. You're on fire for the Lord. That fervent spirit that you had. Some of you are sports fanatics. And my wife posted something. She posted on Facebook on behalf of me, and I thought it was interesting about this guy that said, um, oh, what did it say? Oh, I got to think of it. Sorry. Um, if we read our Bibles like we looked at our phones, I thought, yeah, that's so true. If we, read our, if we read our Bibles, you know, he's pumping weights. He gets up and he starts reading his Bible. He's walking on the road. He, he walks into somebody. Fervent in spirit. Love that. Be fervent in spirit, just like a, if you are a sports fanatic, you can hear people when you score a touchdown or a home run, it's not somebody who just says, oh, that's great, that's wonderful. No, you can hear people from the, from, the, from the road. You can hear them from the sidewalk. The dogs start barking. Have that same fervent spirit, that same desire for Jesus. Try it. Try it. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. There's another one. Steadfast in prayer. You're a prayer warrior. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to think or what to do, but immigrants. The gift of hospitality, yes, it's inviting people into your home and having people come over and have a meal and you know, bless them that way. Absolutely, that's, that's hospitality. You definitely want to do that. It's great to have. But immigrants, people that come in illegally, yes, I believe they should do the right thing and get their visa and all that. But we still open our hearts up to the immigrants if they were to come knocking on our door. There still needs to be a love for those that, that may not seem to be doing the right thing politically or worldly, but we are called to live differently with a gift. You are called to be taking care of the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. I heard Chuck, uh, Pastor Chuck one time say, um, after church, his father would always pick someone out in the congregation and invite him to their home. And... <laughs> I'll try to keep it clean, but he talks about having um, a hooker or a prostitute, someone that had that past, and she just got saved, and she came, and Pastor Chuck said, yep, man, we had some interesting conversations at that dinner table. But he welcomed that person in. He didn't put her as an outcast. He welcomed her in. Do not judge a book by a cover. It's so true. We have no idea what people are going through. Open your heart up to hospitality to whoever it may be, you know, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law have that gift. They've opened up their house to numerous people growing up. And it's neat to show that. It's neat to tell my kids that. It's a gift of hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse. That's a tough one. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think the first one is harder than the second one there. 
And what I mean by that is somebody who rejoices or somebody that's weeping, you can always say, hey, come here, I'll put your arm around him. Yes, I'll pray for you. That one's fairly, we all recognize how to weep with someone who's weeping. You're going through someone or going through something that they're struggling with. But someone who is rejoicing and we're called to rejoice with them. Hey, Alex, guess what, man? I've been praying my car. I just hit a, I hit a deer with it. I don't have insurance. I got no money left. And guess what? Somebody blessed me with a brand new car. Great. <laughs> good for you. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Spend your time with humble people, quiet, humble, soft people that just love Jesus. Associate with them. Bad company corrupts good morals. We all know that verse. It's so true. Be around the humble people and do not be wise in your own opinion. So the saying goes, we all have armpits and most of them stink. So true. But don't be wise in your own opinion. Just let it be what it is. Repay no evil, no one evil for evil. About a month ago, I was eating, I was on a little sales trip trying to sell some coffee, and it was about an hour away. I got hungry, so I sat down and I went to Subway. Didn't think nothing about it. Sat down, I see this guy come in, and he's got a crutch. And he goes, hey, man, I see you got a flatbread sandwich. I said, yep, yep, it's my favorite. I said, oh, looks like you've had better days just kind of, you know, talking with him. He goes, yeah, I just hurt my leg, and I'm just, I'm just worn out. Didn't think nothing about it. I said, yep, yep, have a good day. Hope the best for you. He goes and gets his sandwich, and he comes back, and he's got it in his bag. He wasn't going to eat it. He sits down. Okay, let's, we're going to have a conversation. So I tried to minister to him, and... I said, what are you going to do? You're not going to eat your sandwich here? He goes, nope, nope, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go drink with my buddy. We're going to go get drunk, and we're just going to have a good time out in his garage. I admit, I didn't do the best job of ministering to him. But I said, is that all you really have to look forward to? You're going to go get drunk with your buddy right now? He goes, what are you, some kind of preacher? <laughs> and he, I kid you not, I was wearing a hat. I don't ever hardly wear hats, but I wore a hat this day. What are you, some kind of preacher? I said, no, I'm just talking to you about Jesus. And he whaps the tip of my bill of my hat in Subway. And I kind of turned and I looked to see if anybody else saw it. Nobody else saw it, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to let this one go. And then he has the nerve to tell me, I hope things get better for you. And he puts out his hand to give me knuckles. And I kid you not, he just punched me as hard as he could. If I wouldn't have been a born-again believer, I can assure you, when that man would have sat up, I could have, probably would have kicked that crutch and let that man fall on his face. <laughs> not easy. It's not easy falling after Jesus, but he's called us to that. Repay no one evil for evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Same thing. I subway guy. I don't know what was going on in his life. I gotta make peace with him. As much as depends on us, we're going to live peaceably with all people. It could change people's hearts, change people's lives by living peaceably and being like Jesus. Repay no one evil for evil. Beloved, verse 19, we'll finish up. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. It's a tough one, too, because, man, it's fun to get back in, that, in a worldly fleshly. I hate to say that, but, man, it is fun to get revenge. My brothers and I, man, we had tons of fun growing up with vengeance. But, and, uh, that's a reference to Revelation 21. Um, there's a Chinese proverb that says, you know, if your brother has wronged you, 
Go buy all of his children a drum. Yeah, that's kind of true. Vengeance is mine. Go get a drum for all those kids and let them pound away in the house. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. It means a burning conviction. By your kindness that you do for people, they are going to be convicted that they don't have that heart that you have. What? You're going to buy me, you're going to buy me lunch? I am. Yeah. You're going to pay my light bill? I am. You're going to give me a ride to work? I am. Nobody's giving me a ride. There's, do you understand how important it is to be a living sacrifice for Jesus? To lay down your life, to be an example for people, to have the gifts that is given to you. When you think it's not important, then you're going to heap coals off people's heads. And I think it's so true, it helps me. When I can see people in their eternal state of burning and whapping or um, gnashing of teeth forever separated from God, or do we see people in that kind of mindset to say, I'm going to do something differently for them that no one else would. Feed them, give them a drink, take them to work. Bless them beyond measure because that is a gift that you have. Use it because God is asking by the Holy Spirit, what did I do for you? Remember back in the very first thing? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to do what I'm asking you to do. Do not, last one, do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. The last thing that Jesus said before he he breathed his last was what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate love. Did not repay any evil for evil, but instead forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, gang, I pray that you guys will ask the Lord each and every day, Lord, what do you want from me? What can I do to please you? How can I give back to you? What can I do to be a living sacrifice for the mercies that you've given me? Of all the things that I can remember that I've done in the past, it doesn't matter. What can I do for you today? You have a gift. If you don't know what your gift is, you need to be praying about it. You need to be asking God, what do I have to give that I can offer back to you? And use it for the body of Christ. Use it for his glory. It's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be used for the glory of Christ because we have people we need to minister to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the time that we get to spend in it. I pray, Lord, that we all will ask you each and every day what you want from us. How can we serve you? What can we do for you? Because it should be our reasonable response to want to serve you with that kind of heart. I pray that each one of us will examine our own hearts, repent of our sins, and ask you, Lord, what gift you have for us. We thank you, Lord, for all the people that have served tonight and are back there blessing those little ones. We pray that you'll bless our, our pastor and his wife and Bo that are gone. We pray that you'll refresh him by your spirit, Lord, and bring him back safely. We thank you again, Lord, for laying down your life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night.